Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Canyonlands in the Utah desert out in the southwest of the United States. It was a really cool trip to go on, and this photograph shows uh, this area just outside of Canyonlands National Park in, um, I guess, in southern Utah as you get south of Moab. Uh, and down on the east side of Canyonlands National Park. But this was cool. As we came into the entrance, there was a handful of dispersed campsites that sort of ran off into the, uh, well, I don't know, sort of a desolate area out there, really. I mean, if you look at it, it's it's interesting contoured landscape that you see of these, uh, the sandstone and these sandstone mounds that kind of come up all around where we were uh, while we were camping. We were surrounded by other folks, too, that were a little further off, but this was remote, dispersed camping. And so we came down to the edge of this uh, this wall of rock. And in this photo, I walked around kind of farther to the other side where you could see the car and then this drop-off of rock as, um, as the fast-setting sun pulls up those shadows higher and higher into the rocks in the background uh, just before the end of the day where, where there's no more, more light left over that area. But it was a great spot to camp, and it was really cool. There's so many wild places out there, especially outside of those uh, those national parks areas. So it was really cool, and it was really fun to get to be out there. I think this is from 2011. You can see more of my work at billynewmanphoto.com. You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon. I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. Kind of continuing with some of the stuff that I've been talking about the last couple episodes. Talking about uh, some everyday carry camping stuff, that uh, an outdoorsy stuff that I have around with me. I was, I was going to talk a bit about flashlights too. I've uh, been trying to pick up some uh, some kind of outdoor flashlights that I can have around with me. How did the headlight? How, I have a headlamp. I have a black diamond headlamp. I like that headlamp. It works pretty well for me. It's a pretty uh, rugged, kind of outdoorsy, sort of REI, ready tool. Works pretty well. I think it's around like 190 lumens or so for the spotlight piece. And then there's sort of a, a not as bright kind of wide angle LED light on there too. Also has the switch over to the red LED. A lot of that stuff is nice. Works pretty well. Hasn't really failed me yet. Runs on three AAA batteries. I think it's a pretty cool piece. I think it's been fine. Um, I've been also kind of looking around at other flashlight units and other kind of outdoors um, sort of uh, work and utility flashlights that I can get a hold of. Uh, for the longest time, as, as a, a kid, I was really into the mag light systems, you know, like the, the kind of like the cop lights that you'd have that runs on the D-cell uh, size batteries. And I had like the, the two-cell flashlight. That was a good one to kind of put in a, they had like a truck holster, these little uh, pins that you could put down, kind of drill them straight down to the bed of your truck by your, uh, your left-hand driver's side as you kind of drop down to the floor there before you get out your driver's side door. And you could kind of pop in a two-cell mag light there as your truck light. And I said that was pretty cool. And, uh, <laughs> but I'd have the, I have the mag lights and stuff around a long time. Uh, I think they, that's what, you know, they have like the five cell mag light, they have a four cell, a three cell. They have the two double a mag lights. They have, you know, them all across the, the lineup and stuff. Had those for years. Those ended up kind of failing on me after a while. I know they're really not supposed to, but I think like the back end sort of rusted up. And then I had some trouble with corrosion with the batteries that were in there. And I wasn't able to break it open with the, the PB blaster penetrating fluid that I was hoping to use on it. Anyway, that's all to say that uh, Maglite has been 
put aside, I think, for a couple of years. I've been using other stuff. LED is the way to go. Maglite hasn't really updated the technology so that you're still using kind of a real lame, like 50 or 80 lumen um, incandescent bulb that they just pop in there, uh, which I think is really inferior, especially at this point. And their LED conversion options that they make, I think, are really limited and aren't really anywhere near the type of LED. Uh, it's, you know, it's just, it's, it's like a reproduction of the same incandescent bulb, but as like an LED. It has a real kind of harsh, I thought, blue light to it. And it doesn't really have that kind of uh, bright and crisp sort of layout uh, and focusing beam system that you get, even with really cheaply made Chinese LED lights now. So I was trying to find um, something that kind of brought in some of the cool sort of outdoorsy or utility stuff, toughness that the Maglite had with its branding or, you know, kind of with its flashlight engineering uh, and then something that kind of brought in some of the cool LED focusing beam light technology stuff that we have with the more modern flashlight set that we've had over the last uh, 10 years or so, right? Like blue LEDs came out in 2008, something like that. So that's the first time that we had red, green, and blue LEDs, which allowed us to make white LEDs. And that allowed us to make, you know, all these cool color changing uh, light emitting diode patterns that we have now. And that's where we can get these diodes that are real bright and just kick out a ton of light versus their power output. So we can run these incredibly bright thousand lumen flashlights out of just like a handheld couple battery, you know, like I don't know, a few, what, a four D cell battery or an eight double A cell battery. You can load up these flashlights or you can load them up with your own rechargeable batteries, which is a really cool new feature. You, know, you kind of juice them up with USB like your iPhone. And then punch that light on. You can run a sustained, uh, like, 1,000-lumen torch for hours off of that. It's really cool how you have those kind of options now. So that's the sort of stuff that I was looking into. I was looking into a couple different brands of sort of um, durable, reliable, and uh, useful sort of outdoor utility flashlights. Um, I think that the Marines or Special Forces use one specific light that's like $1,000. It's insanely priced. Then... It's fine. And this other one, Streamlight. I don't know. Have you heard of these flashlights? I've heard of them a bit before. I've seen them in uh, some other stuff. And it seems like they're kind of, uh, I don't know, sort of like an industry standard. So I think if you're doing a lot of like first responder work or like you work with an, you work in an ambulance, I think you have a, like Streamlight has a contract with a lot of emergency response people. And so they have like these Streamlight flashlights. Some really cool stuff. It seems like nicely made. Um, Utilities, a lot of metal flashlights, a lot of polycarbonate flashlights, a lot of safety flashlights, a lot of, uh, uh, what are, they? not lanterns, I don't know, like these big, you know, kind of like big carry lights that have like three, sort of like uh, three LED diodes laid out in this triangle shape on the front, and then a red flash on the side. Man, these big old honking lights, but they're expensive. Man, if you get, if you get, uh, I think like their top, uh, whatever they're, they're 2020. It's like it's like iPhones or something. But man, they're serious about it. Their 2020 model flashlight is like $170. You get like a thousand lumen handheld flashlight. It's rechargeable. It's got a bunch of buttons on it. It's supposed to be drop proof, shatter proof, tactical proof, or you know, all sorts of stuff that they're kind of making claims on um, on its usefulness and, and its reliability. And it's pretty cool, man. These lights are just incredible on like some of the stuff that they can do. It seems, you know, I mean, uh, or at least like to, to whatever degree they're trusted in uh, emergency response or police use. I think like the police use these streamlight 
uh, lights a lot. A lot of people in uh, kind of professional settings seem to, to use them a lot. So I was looking around at them. Minimum, even just for pen lights, those are starting at like 30 bucks, it seems like. And then as you're getting into like some of their nicer mid-range stuff, you're talking about 50 bucks a light or you're talking up from there into something even uh, even higher into like the hundred dollar like averaging eighty dollars to a hundred dollars to two hundred dollars or two hundred and fifty dollars for some of these uh these lantern lights that they have listed out there so cool cool lights cool flashlights man if i was going to get a premium flashlight <laughs> i'd probably get one of these seems like they're going to last a long time um, seems like they have good warranties with them and they've got like a bunch of a bunch of different stuff around it that uh that seems like man what a cool light or you know like that's going to be a really reliable constructed piece that you can carry around with you but at that price point i just can't really see that it matches what i need and where i need to go very well i can't really spend 75 dollars on a flashlight it just sort of doesn't really quite fit with what i'm trying to be up to right now and for the way that i've kind of been talking you know it's like flashlights sort of go bad you know use them for a while but you don't use them all the time uh or at least like in my circumstance like you know it's like uh, i use it i like to use it i need to have a flashlight i got them i got them around where i need them but uh, i need it to be good but i also need it to fit a certain price point um where you kind of get the the best uh, sort of trade-off between these two different things. And I think you can make a quality flashlight for less than $100, right? So I was looking around. I found this other brand out of Portland um, called Coast. And you see them, they're distributed everywhere. You can find them in a lot of places. You can, I think you can find them at Walmart. Uh, you can find them on Amazon. They're all over on Amazon in stock. Uh, you can find them on their site. You can find them, what was I going to say? At Home Depot. They've got a big selection uh, just laid out at Home Depot there. You can get a bunch of different pieces, lanterns, uh, magnetic work lights, uh, like utility lights, and then a bunch of ranges of flashlights. And they have a steel, or like, how do I say, like a, a mag light style series that's sort of a steel metal casing. And then they also have this other one that's a polycarbonate casing that's uh, sort of like, um, I don't know, it would almost look like plastic, but it's like a, a steel case with a polycarbonate coating that's supposed to be good for some outdoor or, you know, some kind of, um, well, I guess, uh, higher work stress threshold uh, flashlights. So I think um, that's kind of what I went. I went with Coast, uh, and I thought it was kind of cool that they were a Portland company. They've got a whole LED line. They've got like a line of knives too that are inexpensive and kind of cool to get a hold of. And if you can find them, I'd throw one of those in the toolbox. It seems kind of fun. Um, but uh, these lives, these uh, these lights, these flashlights is pretty easy to get a hold of. I've, I picked up um, a Polysteel 400. I think that's a 400 lumen uh, handheld Polysteel light. It takes four double A's. And that's got like a real solid beam on it. And the poly steel is cool. It's that polycarbonate case, so it's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, plastic, but it's like uh, it's like that. It's a polycarbonate, so it's like the plastic, or you know, it's like that kind of uh, the plastic that's on a Glock handle, or it's on uh, you know like a knife handle or something like that. But real sturdy. You can kind of slam that thing onto the ground, and it seems like it uh, it still stays intact, still uh, still works. And I think that's uh, sort of one of the things that this this model prides itself. You can go online to uh, coastportland.com, their website, and you can watch these tests, these uh, stress tests of their flashlights where for, for whatever use this is, I don't know if you're, if you're going to do this a bunch, I guess get this flashlight, but they, they have a guy up on like a 10-story building 
and he chucks this lit flashlight off the building down into an empty parking lot below. You watch the flashlight fall to the ground, drop, boom, bounce, kick over, slide off, and uh, the light stays on. <laughs> wow, what a miracle. It still works. Uh, so I guess the, I guess it's tough is what they're telling me, uh, which is really actually pretty wild. If you try and do that with a lot of other LED flashlights, you're really going to have that LED. Um, you're going to have the power to the LED interrupted from the battery source. That's going to get knocked out and probably cracked or messed up. Uh, and the LED circuitry itself is going to crack and shatter. And you're not going to be able to use that chip anymore to emit light in the same way that you had been before. So that's what's really cool about these is that they can take what seems like, uh, you know, like, what are you doing this for kind of a thing. But they're crush proof. I think they're waterproof IPX8 rated flashlights. Uh, they've got the uh, the COB, the chip on board uh, light panel, LED light panel kind of on the side of one of the flashlights that I picked up. I, you know, it's got the straight beam ahead. But then it's got that kind of newer LED lantern effect that uh, some of these flashlights have now where it's got instead of just like a single spotlight LED lens through the front of the light. They've got this like strip of LEDs now on the side of it. You kick a kick another switch that turns on and it's sort of more of a, a broad and open lantern light that you'd have. Or if you're walking a dog or something like that or you want to kind of fill ambiently the light in a room with a flashlight, you can kick that light on. It's sort of a softer illumination across across the ground without any uh, kind of spotlight. And it's sort of a warmer white color, too. You also click that button one more time, boom, it turns into red. So you got a safety light. You click it one more time, and you've got flashing reds, which is uh, pretty cool that you have uh, a few of those different options. But, uh, but yeah, I got um, I got that one. That's, a, I think, a, almost a 1,000. What is it? I should get that right. I think it's... I think it's 800 lumens out the front spotlight and then another 500 lumen light out the side chip on board um, COB or whatever it is, but uh, that, that side light. So, uh, yeah, really bright lights. I got that 400 lumen spotlight. There's also, um, like I was talking about headlamps earlier, I had that black diamond one. I think that was like a, maybe like 150 lumens. It sort of averaged out to be there for the spotlight and the wide the wide light that I had there for, for this coast stuff. They have a, they have a headlamp. It looks more like a miner's headlamp, you know, like the cool thing about the led stuff, the, the backpacker stuff. Um, that's all kind of sleek in design. It's small. It's kind of a compact methodology that they're laying it out in. But if you look back in time and you look at, um, like the miners lights, they had these minor headlamps. It was, Oh man, how silly would that have been? But I think it was just kind of a shiny piece of metal that kind of cupped around a pretty regular incandescent bulb, and that was supposed to sort of lens forward your light for you, so you could kind of grab it and focus it all toward the toward the front of you. And uh, that was a pretty inferior way of doing it at the time, but that was how they produced their headlamp spotlights at the time. They've kind of improved that technology over the last hundred years, of course. And uh, even during the the you know the battery operated days, you would have like a a big miner's light, like the high end headlamps are like just these big old beastly lights, and then it runs a wire down to your hip, where on your belt you have a battery pack hooked up, and then you kind of switch it on from there. It juices up your light up your back on a on a cable, and then boom, out the front of the light comes I don't know five hundred lumens or four hundred lumens or whatever it is. You get you get your real sustained light there. Um, now with some of the advancements of the LED stuff, you still have those lights and those are really high end and really cool technical lights. But even just looking at, uh, some of these, uh, kind of more simple, uh, headlamps from coast that they had, 
they had you know kind of the big kind of miners headlamp style spotlight section thing there and that put out 400 lumens of light which was uh you know maybe i don't know double at least what my little headlamp was doing um so it's kind of cool that you can just kind of pop in pick up some of these other tools and stuff and uh and they're waterproof crush proof um ipx8 rated kind of outdoor uh, utility tools and so it's cool that you can get a hold of those things and it's nice that they're as inexpensive as they are they're really a lot less than those stream light lights um, but man i really like those stream lights also so i'm going to try and keep an eye on them and if it seems like it uh, comes up with a, a good deal or a good value on trying to pick up one of those um those kind of stream light higher end lights i might go for it too but really for the value for money and the utility that it provides, it seems like these coast lights are a real score. The last one I picked up was a pen light. So this is sort of the everyday carry light that I've got with me in my bag, or actually in the ammo can. Um, I put that uh, that kind of that smaller polysteel 400 coast light. That's in the in the ammo can box, but in the pocket every day I've got this uh, this little pocket pen light. Still kind of the same thing. I think it's a, a 110 lumen light. It's got two AAA batteries in it, and uh, it's about the size of a pen, just a little bigger, or kind of a, like a bit of a like a like a thick sharpie. It's sort of about as big as it is, but that slides into the pocket. It's got the same uh, waterproof rating, crush proof rating as uh, as the other pieces that I had talked about. But yeah, it's just a, a smaller uh, handheld pen light that I like uh, really quite a bit. I think it's pretty cool to to have uh, to have like a more full size light. I know my I know my phone has its LED on it. That's really nowhere near as bright as what I'm able to get out of this uh, out of this pen light. So it's kind of cool having that uh, piece around me. And even even already in the last couple of days, I've noticed I pulled this thing out a lot more than I thought I would to try and uh, try and use it as a utility, especially in spots where the uh, the phone light would have come in as no good. So kind of fun stuff going around, working the uh, flashlights, trying to check out some different brands and stuff. Maybe I'll still try out a mag light in the future. Those are kind of fun for uh, nostalgia's sake, but. I think some of these coast lights might be the uh, the direction I go in. It's kind of fun. You can check out more information at billynewmanphoto.com. You can go to billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way through the portal at billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it. If you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using Patreon, that's patreon.com forward slash billynewmanphoto. Most of this podcast has been brought to you by using Cakewalk Sonar, brought to you by BandLab. Maybe I talked about this a little bit, but... Uh, band lab is a website or a company and i guess it made a purchase of the software cakewalk sonar that had been for a short time previously owned by gibson guitar company since like i don't know 2011 or something like that uh, so interestingly a couple of years ago or something they gibson said hey we're not going to do any more updates to the sonar software so that's just sort of abandoned. But Sonar was like one of the professional DAW editors for a lot of multi-track recording studios, especially stuff that you know that was uh, that was PC-based, PC-based recording, other than maybe Audition or Reaper, Tractor. There's a bunch of other stuff out there, but 
Sonar had been, Cakewalk and Sonar had been one of the long-standing multi-track recorders out there. So I guess it was purchased by this company, Band Lab. They're continue, continuing to do updates and development in the software. Uh, and it's available for free now, which is pretty cool. So you can go to bandlab.com, you download like their installer software, and yeah, you can just uh, download a full functioning version of the 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 top of the line sonar was a cakewalk platinum studio that had come out a couple years ago and so that's what i'm recording into right now it's a pretty nice layout it's working fine on this uh this older windows 10 machine that i'm working on right now and it's pretty fun i'm having a good time uh recording into it through the audio interface that i've got going the h4n with the xlr inputs coming in left and right into it and then it's uh the the two in two out usb interface so it's just going over like a usb cable out into the computer and it seems like we're getting great uh, preamp quality a lot better than we did with the what is it the ad the audio digital converter that's in this unit apparently you have to take like an analog signal and then crunch that down into data and then get that into the computer so that this doc can record the i don't know the wave whatever it's going to do in uh, Apparently, it's getting like technology does. It's getting progressively better over time. So I guess a lot of the things that used to be maybe very expensive for AD conversions are now a bit better or, or higher fidelity or you know I don't know just a full bit. Uh, what is it like CDs are 16 bit and maybe there's like 32 bit AD conversion or 64 bit AD conversion. So it's probably just a level of recording sampling that's or maybe that's even just different altogether. I don't really know the process of AD conversion, but what I do know is that this one that I have that's about 10 years newer than the other one I had seems to have uh, way better preamps, maybe is what I'd say, but just the way that it's able to control the sound as it comes in uh, seems like it's it's much better and doesn't really contain that. It's sort of like this weak digital sound is sort of the best way I would describe it. Something that you would have like early sound cards and stuff like that too, where it's, it, it just didn't really sound like it had like a full quality of the track to it when you recorded it. So I don't know, kind of silly, interesting stuff, but yeah, this one sounds a lot better than the other one did. And the other one was pretty good for its time. It was a lot better than the sound cards that would have been available for, for me. And uh, I mean, that's what I was using to record stuff even up to just a couple months ago. So yeah, using the H4N, again, got the keyboard in here, ready to go. I need to figure this out with some other cool stuff. There was like, I don't know, it's a setup with a piano sound for a while. And then I switched it over to this nice uh, little pad sound. It's pretty cool. On the Mac, I'm pretty frustrated. I'm on the PC now, right? So on the Mac, there's this great program, I think, by Rogue Amoeba called Fer Faraja, Farago, something like that. It's this really cool uh what would you call it, like soundboard app where you can kind of trigger, you can hit a key, right, like that, but it'll trigger some sound that you have, some, you know, just some patch of sound that you have as a clip in that spot. So you can build your own soundboard. So you have a keyboard, and you can punch in, like, all these different sounds that would play through your computer that you can record and stuff. I really want to use it, but it's only, it's like Apple, Mac only, and I can't put it on this PC. Shoot. So I think, uh, what was it, Discord, that the the chat and call communications platform app that uh, a lot of gamers use i guess there's like a couple soundboard utilities that those guys use on the windows side so there might be something in there where i can do a midi controller to have in the background to to grab out a couple patches the thing i'm trying to do though right 
really is to figure out like the MIDI controller that's in Cakewalk and see if I can build my own set of patches. Like I only need like three or four, and then I can I can hotkey those and record like oh this one, that'll be like the intro music and that'll be the outro music and this will be I don't know some some amusing sound sound bite that I can drop in. Right, that's what I need. <laughs> so <laughs> probably not though. Uh, but I'll try and figure something out with it. It's kind of fun, kind of fun goofing around with it. Really, I'm not sure if I'll, I'll use this keyboard a lot in the podcasting process. But other to other than to annoy the uh, the poor, well, I was gonna say folks, but probably just folk, just one or two people that are uh, that are <laughs> poorly making the choice to check out this long-winded podcast. So thank you if you made it all the way to 20 minutes and 50 seconds into this program. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's kind of fun doing all this audio stuff and working in Cakewalk and Sonar and learning about some audio recording stuff. I got the multi-tracking stuff set up pretty well, so I can do I can do this input. I can do an input into the mic over to the left of me. And then, again, got the keyboard in here, got the MIDI controller set up to, to do some recording, too. So that recorded out to a wave, and that'll put together another episode, I'm sure you're excited, of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Uh, that I'll, I'll be able to, I guess, throw up on to my website maybe in the next 24 hours or so. I got to make that part easier. That's the thing that I want to make a little bit more fun is the next, like, I don't know, 40 minutes or so is just trying to, like, get everything open and get this file loaded into my WordPress site. It's got to be, like, a more automated way to do that, right? Hmm. I should look into that. Maybe that's the sort of automation stuff I need to try and figure out. Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hope you guys check out some stuff on BillyNewmanPhoto.com. A few new things up there. Some stuff on the homepage. Some good links to other other outbound sources. Some, some links to books. Some links to some podcasts. Links to some blog posts. All pretty cool. But yeah, check it out at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.